Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the unread books on my shelf. With me, as not always, are special guests. How am I going to introduce this? Okay. First of all, we are reading a book off my shelf called Dun 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 Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. And the only way to do it was to bring on the equivalent of my three sisters, my four friends. So I've brought on my best friends that have been my friends since I was a child, literally in some cases since I was six months old. Oh, Bailey had an issue with biting people in daycare, and this is very special for me. (laughs) That's true. So I'm going to have them introduce themselves. I don't know why I'm holding up this book. (laughs) So why don't you just say your name and the first time you read Little Women or something about your relationship with Little Women. Mm. So let's start over here. Um, I'm Jane. I love cats. <laughs> and I first read Little Women actually in high school, I want to say. And I really liked it. And something about it resonated with me. So I was really excited that um, we decided to read this together because I love it. Mm. Awesome. I'm Sarah. And I also like cats. Yeah, I like dogs, too. <laughs> and I first read Little Women when I, I think I was in middle school. And I feel like it also resonated with me because it was just about the day-to-day about kind of being a girl and growing up. Um, that was a time in my life when I really kind of wanted to read about other women's experiences. Awesome. My name's Kate. And Bailey and I have known each other since we were six months old. And I read Little Women um, for the first full time when I was 27 years old and about to get married. But I remember seeing the video from a very young age and feeling like uh, my best friends were my sisters in a way that was portrayed in the movie. More than your actual sister? Yeah, she's fine. <laughs> uh, my name is Meredith, and I like dogs. No offense to cats. Uh, I think I first read Little Women in middle school. I definitely saw the movie first, and I don't remember a particularly strong experience of reading the book because I loved the movie so much. But I think overall I really liked the story because you just identified with a group of women who are really, you know, their sisters, close friends. I had a sister too, and um, it's hard not to. still do. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) And it's hard not to identify with Joe, I think, and Mm. feel feisty. Especially if you're the kind of person that likes to read books. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's weird that I've never read this book. I've seen so many adaptations of it that I felt like I've read it. But then I just saw recently the, did PBS do it? Or Masterpiece Theater did an adaptation. Yeah, Masterpiece. Yeah, Masterpiece. Yeah. Masterpiece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was good. I watched it with my husband, Dylan. Longtime listeners to the podcast will be familiar. <laughs> I think that's a true testament to Little Women, though, that you can see a million different adaptations of it. You can see it even in modern times. And it's still is resonant in many different ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's another reason why we're doing the podcast now is because on Christmas, on Christmas Day, the new adaptation by Greta Gerwig's coming out. (gasps) And I can't wait. I'm really excited. I think that's something that's really fitting is the fact that many of us have seen these video versions of the Little Women adaptations with them as adults, with Lori as adults and all the Mm -hmm. sisters as adults. When you read the book, you realize they're 13 and 12 and 16 Mm -hmm. and 15. And... They're very much us minus 15 years. And that's a very weird moment to come to where you realize, oh, they're going through these things that like yeah. we are so long past. You yeah. know, it, it really is mm-hmm. truly a coming of age novel. Yeah. It's also I had to remind myself throughout the book when they did something that irritated me 
remember that they're like 11 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't yeah. need to hold them to really high standards. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of like lessons, like Marmy the mom communicates a lot of lessons um, mm-hmm. about, you know, holding in your anger and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But these kids do some crazy things. Like Amy burning that book. Ooh. Oh, she's that, I know. That is the. I had to remind myself that she was only nine years old because I was really mad at her. This is before Google Docs. Like, that was her one. (laughs) So so let's dive in. Let's talk about it. I'm conscious of not wanting to spoil it, but at the same time, a lot of the beats of the book are well known. Andrew and Toby are going to listen to this episode and get very upset because they're very against spoilers. But I just think that we need to talk about certain things that happen in this book. I think, yeah, this isn't the kind of book where you can just give an overview without giving things away. I, I want to yeah. talk about it. Yeah. So let's Sorry. do a thing which we've done sometimes with guests on the podcast where we give the plot summary like one sentence per person. Oh, wow. Oh, I did not prepare for this. No, no. Oh, no it's going to be off the cuff. Okay. <laughs> Little Women is a coming of age novel following the four March sisters growing up. The book follows their lessons and tribulations as they grow into little women. <gasps> wow. So their father is off fighting a war. Um, civil war. In the Civil War. That's yeah. kind of what I've assumed. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like 1800s America, war. Okay. World oh, War I? War. Wait, what? When yeah. was that? <laughs> so the little women get to know their uh, next door neighbor, the Lawrences, uh, Grandfather Lawrence and Lori. And uh, they form this wonderful friendship that uh, sustains them throughout these very challenging times where I think Marmy and the little women don't have a a male figure in their house or a male figure to rely upon. Marmy being the mother. Yes. So Marmy is the mother, and then there are four sisters, the youngest being Amy, who loves to paint or loves art in general. She's kind of the youngest and the most interested in maybe material things. That's maybe not the nice, well. That's kind of way to put that's it. a very nice way to put it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we have Beth, Bummer. who is the gentle, sweet, sickly child um, who everyone adores. And then we have Joe, who is the feisty, adventurous writer and playwright of the family. And then Meg, who's the oldest sister, who's kind of the maybe most responsible motherly figure mm-hmm. of the group. What I didn't remember about this book, well, I guess I hadn't read it, but I what I didn't remember about the adaptations is that Meg has this desire for material things and like wants to yeah. be rich. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember that, but the explanation is good, which is that their family used to be well off, but then they lost some money. And so she was used to a certain standard of living and now is having a hard time adjusting. I didn't mm-hmm. remember that part. I remember that coming up a lot, or the whole storyline of Meg going to that party slash ball right yeah. where you know her yeah. outfit wasn't quite right and then joe has like the burn on the front of her dress but i also thought in the book it's so interesting i thought their use of like poor and rich yeah like it's these very dramatic stark terms which felt maybe i'm just like a, a puritan new englander or something where like we don't use those terms <laughs> but also they were puritan new englanders it felt mm-hmm. very like almost crass the way that it was used sometimes and a little shocking but True. And woven throughout the novel are these class themes where you think about marriage partners like Lori Mm -hmm. or Professor Mm -hmm. Bear as being, quote unquote, suitable marriage partners. And then you have these in stark contrast to figures like the Hummels. The Hummels are these kind of family that's kind of off scene throughout the entire book that just accept generosity as it's presented to them. Mm. So the Alcotts had to 
in, in what I've read, they were worse off than the marches. Interesting. Huh. And mm-hmm. they relied on charity from friends to basically stay alive. So they were more like the Hummels? Um, I would put them between the Hummels and the marches. Okay. They were quite close with Ralph Waldo Emerson, and he actually, like, helped them out with a down payment on the house, I think, a couple of times. Mm. So they were very much dependent on charity because the patriarch of the family, Bronson, he was very much into his transcendentalist ideas, and in his own words, he didn't he didn't like to work. And, oh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, Louisa May Alcott once said, though I and I'm messing this up, but she said, though I'm an Alcott, I can support myself or something like that. Oh, wow. So mm-hmm. Bronson Alcott was not a provider for his family. Interesting. Um, and Louisa had a interesting relationship with him because she saw how much her family was basically suffering to make ends meet, especially her mother, Abby. So I thought it was really interesting that she made the marches a little bit more comfortable, um, Mm. but they were basically moving. I think they moved like 30 times in the span of like 10 years before they finally settled in Orchard House. Reading it, I was acutely conscious of the ways in which it asks women, what do you want in a life partnership? What do you want in the life that you choose for yourself? But also I was acutely conscious of the ways in which that was meted against the women being kind of at the mercy of this time and place, mm-hmm. the ability that they have to move above their station being very much forestalled by the times within which they were being raised. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because it is in many ways a revolutionary novel, and it is in many ways completely a byproduct of its time. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of the scene in in the first part of the novel when they're all sitting and looking at the clouds and they're identifying their like dream castles, mm. their dream homes. And I don't think any of them get the home that they dream, but they kind of realize that that's A, not possible, and B, maybe not what they really wanted. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I thought it was very interesting. Like Marmee as a character, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think she's, like you were saying, Kate, very revolutionary as a mother figure mm-hmm. or, you know, just a parent figure in general, not forcing her daughters to necessarily marry rich. And she does encourage all of them to marry people that they actually like. But at the same time, there's other moments where she's kind of giving advice that feels quite outdated and kind of like oh yeah identify with find a partner that you want to spend your life with but I don't identify with oh yeah Meg you should make sure your husband's comfortable when he gets home that's why he's grumpy yeah 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 yeah. I I have a quote so Marmee is explaining to Joe her plans she says my dear girls I am ambitious for you but not to have you make a dash in the world marry rich men merely because they are rich or have splendid houses which are not homes because love is wanting Money is needful and a precious thing, and when well used is a noble thing, but I never want you to think it is the first or only prize to strive for. I'd rather see you poor men's wives if you were happy, beloved, contented, than queens on thrones without self-respect and peace. Mm. Self-respect, that's pretty cool. Which did feel really modern, but then she is like, yeah, okay, but Mr. Brooke needs to have a job. Yeah. 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 She's on one hand saying, like, be your own self-actualized self, like be your own whole person. But then she's also saying, I understand these are the trappings of marriage that you are prisoners within, not prisoners per se, but like this this is realism. This is what's going on in the time. Mm-hmm. I think prisoners is a good way to describe it because Louisa May Alcott never got married very much by design. So I have this quote from her. Jane, I love it. You did all this research. It's so awesome. Jane, oh. you're the best. Um, 
Fear of being an old maid, she wrote, made young girls rush into matrimony with a recklessness that astonishes. Too late, they realize that the loss of love, happiness, and self-respect is poorly repaid by the barren honor of being called Mrs. Mm. Yeah, but she did not want to get married. She was very acutely aware of how much married women gave up their independence and that was not something that she she was willing to relinquish by any means. So then let's talk about Joe because I mean it's pretty obvious that Joe is Louise's stand-in. Yes. So what did you guys feel about spoiler alert the fact that she rejects Lori and seems like she wants to be single but then ends up marrying what was your opinion on joe's fate Mm. i didn't read her rejection of Lori as saying she wanted to be single Mm -hmm. i mean i I don't remember at what point like if it was right around when she rejects him or after before but she does sort of talk about how maybe she'll be an old maid or something and Mm -hmm. she's not too upset about that but in her rejection of him i really felt it was her saying i'm not in love with you Mm mm-hmm I thought it was really interesting to understand the ways in which Joe is uh, critical of the situation she's in while also having eyes wide open about the situation she's entering into. And I say that to say that she seems very cognizant of what it means to be a quote-unquote old maid mm-hmm. or a spinster. Mm-hmm. She seems very uh, understanding of the ways in which that will pigeonhole her. But she also says, I choose this above having to be in a particular way on someone else's terms. You know, I, I agree with what Kate said. And I, you know, I think about, you know, Louisa May, I'll call it, writing this novel, too, and thinking also about kind of the practicality of, like, how do I kind of tie up these plot points within the era that I'm writing this book? Mm-hmm. You know, because, I mean, in, in the same position that Joe finds herself in, like, you know, I... I am going to be this independent woman who is going to, you know, live by my own terms and recognizing the practicality of what that life will mean for her in that time. Um, I don't know. I kind of wonder if she was also trying to like practically tie up those plot points in a way that like would endear readers. Yeah. Mm. So Little Women was actually originally published as two books. Mm -hmm. She wrote part one and before she had written part two, she was flooded with feedback from little girls and from mothers. Are Joe and Lori going to be married? And she wanted a spinster life for Joe. Mm-hmm. So this is what she wrote. And I'm getting this from the book called Louisa May Alcott, The Woman Behind Little Women by Harriet Reason. But this is something that she wrote in her correspondence. Publishers insist on having people married off in a wholesale manner, which much afflicts me. Joe should have remained a literary spinster, but so many enthusiastic ladies wrote to me clamorously demanding that she should marry Lori or somebody that I didn't dare refuse, and out of perversity went and made a funny match for her. I expect vials of wrath to be poured out upon my head, but rather enjoy the prospect. Yeah, that's what it felt like yes. to me. It felt like, who's this random guy that she's marrying yeah, coming absolutely. out of nowhere? Yeah. But at the, t- at the same time, she's like, no, I'm, I don't want to put her with Lori because mm-hmm. that's what everybody is expecting. Mm-hmm. And that's what right. they think Joe should do. But Joe is, is more than that. And right. this was her way of satisfying, I think, her publisher and the public, but also not making the match that everybody anticipated. I think mm-hmm. it's a strong statement. You, you sort of just said this, but a strong statement for the time to have a rejection happen, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Even if yeah. Joe gets married later, like mm-hmm. to show that it's possible to say no and for life 
to go on in some way. And at mm-hmm. that point, you don't know if Joe's going to meet Mr. Bear or not. I mean, Joe and Lori had such an incredible relationship um, that I think a lot of readers probably, to Jane's point, didn't understand why they didn't wind up together. Well, I think <laughs> it's so interesting reading, you know, having read this book in middle school or whatever and coming back to it now and being able to read it in, you know, the 90s, whenever I read it for the first time and and not recognizing any of this and just being like, oh, yeah, these are the, you know, these are things that I, I didn't realize I took them for granted, but these are just parts of my life. I can absolutely choose my life partner based on their, you know, intellect and our, you know, that we're a good fit for each other and that mm-hmm. we're good partners for each other. I'm, I'm a strong, independent woman. You know, yeah. I, can, I can do whatever I want. And I think that those themes resonated with me, especially with Joe growing up. And now looking back on it, it's really interesting to think about. I mean, that was that's wild that she put this out there at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did anybody think that had it been a different time that Joe was a queer character? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I thought about For that. Like sure. Either yeah. like lesbian or asexual or something. It does seem like there's no real reason for her not to like Lori. Mm. I guess, except that she's just not attracted to... I don't know. Maybe that's just too much speculation. Well, I also was wondering... I mean, to be maybe a little bit... Read that a little negatively is like, yeah, sure, make the character who rejects the man more masculine or something. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. that's maybe a potentially easy out as far as, like, an understanding of sexuality and, like, why someone would be attracted to someone else. Right. So something I thought was interesting, this is from an article that was in The New Yorker, um, August 27th, 2018, and it alludes to Louisa's sexuality. And there have been like a couple of suggestions of, of her having some possibly mildly sexual relationships. But also in an interview in 1883, she said, I am more than half persuaded that I am a man's soul put by some freak of nature into a woman's body because I have fallen in love in my life with so many pretty girls and never once the least bit with a man. There was a lot of allusions to her being a boy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That was interesting. And maybe I don't know if that's because they don't explore the idea of lesbianism and that's like their only way of categorizing it, like you said, Meredith. Mm. But I wonder that, too. Well, I think it's interesting, too. Like, And I wonder if, too, part of it is kind of a reflection of the very, very narrow gender roles of the time in the 19th Mm, century. And so if you Mm -hmm. felt like you deviated at all from the very traditional feminine role, then you did maybe feel like a man in a woman's body. And I'm not, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't Mm -hmm. know if she really maybe did feel like she was somewhere else on the gender spectrum. But Mm -hmm. I wonder if because the gender roles were so narrow at that time, then if you deviated from that at all, you really did feel like maybe I'm not a woman, you know, maybe I'm not feminine at all. That makes a lot of sense. So What do you guys think about Amy? Okay, here's the thing. She's quite a brat as a little one and kind of a brat when she gets older. And you're like, why aren't you at the moral level of your sisters? Mm -hmm. But then I think she pulls it all together and is really cool. I feel like she also recognized her privilege and her power. She recognized her beauty, for example, right? Mm -hmm. And she's using it to further her life and her family's life. And that came through a lot in that sort of extended scene with Joe and they go, it's it's Amy and Joe, right? They go and visit all these neighbors. Yes. Oh, yeah. And Joe's like, Ugh, at every stop. <laughs> and Amy is like, you know, the sweet, loving, personable person. But personally for me, like, I'm still into Joe at that. In that I have moment. never identified with Joe more. She's like, you want me to be nice? I'll be nice. <laughs> yeah. But then I think what Amy 
is using in those moments is that power and that skill that she's developed. She's Whereas Joe's like, I don't, I like, I'm out of this. I'm not yeah. going to put in this energy. And then as a consequence of that, Amy gets invited to France and to Europe and right. Joe doesn't. Amy straight up says, I recognize the strengths that I bring to the table. How can I leverage these to get ahead in this world? But it also feels, I think, cathartic or indulgent or something to be with Joe in those moments. Because you're like, you're expressing Mm -hmm. the anger that everyone else wants to express. And Mm -hmm. that feels good. Right. Like, I can definitely relate a lot more to Joe in those moments and her Mm -hmm. anger at society Mm -hmm. and, you know, the stupid social calling things that she has to do. I didn't like Amy for a while in the book and, you know, especially when she burned Joe's diary. That was <laughs> extremely frustrating. Yeah. Um, you do realize, like, towards the end of the book, you're like, she's actually really learning how to work within the system. Joe is, mm. you know, just very angry and kind of bucking the system, which is another approach to take. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, like you guys said before, she's actually more clever than you initially think that she is. And I think there is some, like, moral ingredient to what she's doing. I don't think she does everything that she does just to get ahead. No. No. no um, I agree. But, you know, like she had the opportunity to marry uh, Fred, Fred Vaughn, mm-hmm. who... Freddie Vaughn. <laughs> Fred Vaughn. He must have been just heinous. Did anybody else think that? I oh, thought yeah. the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Freddie Vaughn has some shortcomings. <laughs> yeah. But she was like, initially she was like, yeah, I'll marry him. If he asks, I'm going to say yes. But then she had, like, she thought about it, and she's like, no, I don't want to marry for money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she had, she developed a closeness with Lori, realized her feelings, and turned him down when he asked. I don't know. I think she gets a bad rap. Well, I one thing I liked about the book is I think that the development of the feelings between Lori and Amy mm-hmm. comes out more. Comes here. out more. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think it's easier mm-hmm. in the movie to be like, ugh, Amy and yeah. Lori. It should have been Joe. Like you yeah. can you can carry that a lot easier here. I, you understand, yeah. I think, better you get that it. they fall in love. Of all of the characters, we see Amy in her most unformed state. We see Amy evolving. True. We mm-hmm. see the ways in which Amy grows from a little girl into a little woman. Mm -hmm. And for me, reading the book now, being like, I identify with Joe, I also identify with Meg, Beth is a bummer. But I I also had these moments where like, Amy is is taking a very clear-eyed view. And without, I think, uh, auspices or guile, Amy still says, how can I get what I want within this very this very patriarchal system within which I don't have a lot of opportunities? Mm-hmm. And Amy, she can't write her way out of it exactly. or paint her way out of it. Amy mm-hmm. almost wins yeah. in mm-hmm. the end if you think of all the little women. I mean, Beth be dead. Uh, sorry, Beth. <laughs> anyway, she rests. Rest in peace. <laughs> they, yeah, they all win kind of in their own ways, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I want to yeah. talk a little bit about my experience of Amy. So growing up, you guys probably all remember this, maybe not, but my mom had this case with four dolls that were the four little women. We love those Was it in the entryway? It's in the living room. So like they would stare at you during sleepovers. They were pretty creepy. (laughs) So we had these dolls and my mom would explain to me like, you want to play with Joe? Joe's the best one. I was like, Joe has the worst outfit. (laughs) So Amy was always the pretty one. She's like the blonde one, the pretty one. She had this beautiful white dress with all these flowers in it. So I kind of wanted 
to hate her as a kid because I was like, she's the pretty one. She probably would be mean to me. And then maybe also... She she wasn't mean to anyone. I know. And then maybe it's combined with the Kirsten Dunst in the movie that she does Mm. seem like a little bit of a brat. And so I was like, I don't like Amy. So when I came to this book, I was like, okay, I'm going to give Amy a fair chance. And I think I liked her a lot more just remembering she is the youngest. She is like 12. Yeah. And yes, she, you know, lights the, the book on fire, which is pretty bad. But she... As soon as she realizes it, she feels really terrible. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I felt her grow up when she goes to Europe in mm-hmm. this. So mm-hmm. I liked her more. Yeah. I got to say, the relationship between Lori and Amy, they actually complement each other in a way in which I had never considered. They try and improve each other. Mm-hmm. Amy says to Lori, I want you to be better. And Lori recognizes the faults in Amy that she needs to build upon and improve. And there's a kind of continual accountability that I don't think is present throughout the book in any of the other relationships. I think that that's a real romance where I think mm. Mr. Bear feels like you were saying, Jane, like kind of just a joke or, or like not a joke, but like here's this man that is in no way like sexualized. He's like big German guy, big beard. A walking beard. Walking beard. <laughs> um, and he just kind of shows up. It didn't feel like a real relationship, but the Lori and Amy did feel like a real romance. All right, so let's just take a minute and do a little bit of a review. Obviously, this is a book that you guys, you know, cherish and have read several times. But um, were there things that you didn't like about it? So I think for me, it was some of the parts. I think this was maybe more in the first part of the book where there was a lot of lesson teaching. Mm -hmm. And I understand Mm -hmm. that this book was probably written for an audience. Like, I mean, I don't know, maybe the purpose was like, this is for you, like young women growing up. And these are the lessons you should learn. But there were times when it felt a little bit preachy. So that that was the one thing that stands out to me. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is supposed to be like every night your mom or your dad will read you a chapter before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be a moral at the end. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But They did it with the absence of, like, a central male character. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of independence. Yeah. So they are growing up without some man telling them how to live their lives. Yeah, Mr. Mm-hmm. March just fades into yeah. the back. There, mm-hmm. there, there is a book called March that's written from his perspective. Although it is interesting, when he returns from the war mm-hmm. after he recovers from, I think it was a pneumonia, um, there was a scene I remember when like he's kind of sitting in the living room and like the, the narrative is like, mom led the house like pretty well, but like now the man's the leader again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But even still, though, he kind of just like keeps to his libraries and is like... Yeah, I'll be over he there. Did. Yeah, <laughs> true. Well, at that point, too, they've all kind of split up. So this is the second part of the novel. I think in general, tell me if you agree, I think the first part is a lot stronger. There's some really awesome chapters in part two, but I found it to be a little slower. And maybe it's because they lost this like locus of the home. They're all just doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I yeah. missed sort of the girls and Marmy together yeah. Yeah. I felt that way as I was reading it I was also wondering if it was a little bit informed by my love of the film because the majority of what's covered in the film is in the first part yeah so as I'm rereading that and sort of enjoying that it's reinforcing my love for that and then in the second part a lot of it that's not in the film and you're kind of like a little ho-hum but I wasn't super into the whole section about you know Meg learning to be a better wife or whatever with Mr. Brooke like Mm -hmm. there were large portions where you're like eh didn't really hit me as much as the older stories did the other thought I was having was just that it was unexpected for me in reading it that I really did think that this was written for a younger audience. Oh, it for sure was. And it and I under right. And yeah. I guess I sort of forgot that or mm-hmm. 
I don't know, it's such a big old book <laughs> like that I thought that it would speak to me a little bit more as an adult. But the all of the teachings or whatever, like, oh, no, this was written for people yeah. who are yeah. 14 to be reading Her, her publishers mm-hmm. were like, make a book for women children mm-hmm. girl children mm-hmm. women girls. children <laughs> make a book for little girls. women girl children. Girl children. Um, because there had been some works for little boys but not any for little girls mm. um, and it was a huge market and she became successful overnight after writing little women um, that's and she, wild she died a, a rich lady um, oh interesting she preferred writing thrillers actually Uh like sensational like dealing with like more heavy human emotions like jealousy Mm -hmm. and revenge Mm -hmm. um so that was was what she enjoyed writing and she always resolved to write something that wasn't for kids and she did have some to an extent but not not something that she you know would want like tied to her legacy but um yeah i thought that was really interesting because writing for children basically paid the bills and her family was wildly in debt which is sad because I've romanticized the book and the story mm-hmm. and the morality behind it. And then you're like, oh, she was just trying to make money. Mm. And, but it worked. Yeah. But it worked like, really I mean, well. In a good way. Yeah. Right? Like it was a, it's sort of like a meeting of a good economic opportunity and a good storytelling. Yeah. Like, and that's wonderful. I had this memory and maybe it was manufactured in my head from the movie that that this book in the end was written by Joe. Mm. Did anybody else have that? Like, she's like, I'm going to write about my sisters or something. And then there's this interesting part that I didn't know was a part of the book. There's this narrator character, this I, that's describing, she's like, I can't find the words for this. Or I suppose you want to know what they look like, that I wonder who is this I? Like, Mm -hmm. is it Louisa May Alcott? Well, as I was reading it, I thought it was Joe because the film says it's Joe. And I was actually talking to one of my friends about the book. And she was, and I mentioned that this omniscient narrator pops in and says I a couple times and it caught me off guard and she was like well it's because Joe wrote the book and that's Joe speaking and I was like I guess so and then that doesn't happen ultimately Mm -hmm. and that's reminding me of one thing I was thinking about her relationship with Mr. Bear in the film Mm -hmm. is he's one of the major forces that kind of pushes her over into writing Little Women. He's right? her editorial eye. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he, I think that connection in the film is really important to understanding their love and mutual support of each other, and mm-hmm. that's not in the book, because he's not telling her, I think you can do better, Joe, write from what you know, yes. and write Little Women. But he does tell her to stop writing trash true yes, i didn't true. i didn't appreciate that i know i was like let her write trash let her write for the spread eagle yeah. <laughs> um so let's just all quickly say out of five stars what you would give it um <gasps> i will give it five stars because i just love this book and i think it did a lot for women there's countless prominent female authors who have credited this book with their love for literature and for being the woman that they want to be and it reads well it's entertaining i feel like part of it resonates with me having grown up in new england five stars, five stars. i'm gonna give it five stars nice. yeah. you, you guys five stars what are you thinking i would say four stars i completely agree with everything that jane said i i just think i would give it four just simply for personal reasons there were times when for me it felt a little bit slow mm-hmm. part of that was perhaps the version that i purchased oh, which Sarah. was oh, no. for Sarah. for those of you who can't see my book mm-hmm. it looks like a biology textbook in the way it that it's printed dirty. so it was a little bit harder to get through um but i i completely agree with what jane said i think Personally, it resonated a lot with me growing up. It was fun to relive that, and I think its place in 
our culture is very important too. Mm -hmm. I would also give it four stars. This is Kate. I read this <laughs> right before I got married. And what was super interesting is the ways in which I identify with different sisters mm. at different points in my life. Mm -hmm. I remember reading this right before I got married and really strongly identifying with Meg in the ways in which one tries to build a successful marriage in these really thoughtful and intentional ways. And now five years into my marriage, I'm like, I'm at March. Burn the system to the ground. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with five stars, in part because I'm really bad at giving five stars to books. I think I often have this threshold that's like impossible. Yeah. It's like the only way to be a five star book in my mind is if you are literally the best book I've ever read. So I'm going to say five stars because I think it's amazing that we still are all connecting so deeply to a book that was written so long ago. It's really timeless and how she's captured four distinctly different women and you know weave together all of these different stories in a way that you still feel really connected to is amazing and and like you were saying Jane you know she's influenced so many writers after her and um, I think it's a really excellent book uh, it's between four and five for me I agree when Dylan and I visited Denmark they have a saying I think it's pronounced Hugo Hugga. Hugga. Where it's warm. like it's coziness. like coziness, mm -hmm. feeling warm, like curling up under a blanket mm -hmm. with the hot cocoa. Like that's what this book gives me. Yeah, then well again, done. I have been like a white girl growing up in New England. Like maybe other people have different perspectives on this book. But for me, it's like sort of like a warm hug, a warm cup of hot cocoa. So... Mm. What you all can't see is that Bailey is cradling the book right now in the recording studio. <laughs> the I love prettiest it. version. I love yeah. this version. Yeah, we'll put a picture of it on Instagram. I got it because of this version. It came from this collection called Puffin Classics that has this, Anne of Green Gables, Heidi, and a little princess. Mm -hmm. Very nice. So Haga. I guess I'll agree with Meredith and I'll go five stars. All right, so <laughs> let's do the game. So we have two options here. We can do like the quiz to find out which little women we have. Let's do the quiz. Also in the back of my book, it has quotes and it's like, guess who said the quote? But that's quiz. probably. Let's, let's do, do the, the quiz. quiz. So this is for Bailey okay. taking the quiz uh, live on air. What's the best way to spend the day off? Okay. Practicing my hobby, exploring the wild, spending time alone, organizing a fun game. Well, my hobby is spending time alone. So I'll just say spending time alone. <laughs> you look for in a romantic interest? Kindness, wealth, charisma, sense of humor. Who says wealth? <laughs> Amy. Oh, I say yeah. wealth. Sense of humor. What do you value most in life? Family, adventure, success, or love? Mm, I guess family. Cats. Where would you rather go on vacation? Paris, Shanghai, New York City, or Rome? Um, I've been to Paris a lot. So Paris normally would be my answer, but to do something new, I would say Shanghai. Cat cafe. So is that maybe you not being true to yourself though? Um, this test is a lie. Okay, how would you how would your close friends describe you? Joyful, charming, genuine, or ambitious? Well you guys can answer that. Uh genuine. 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 Oh, okay. I'm lying but, to I you. Mean, all. <laughs> <laughs> so I was gonna say all of all of them. Uh what would you say your worst trait is? You're reckless, jealous, shy, or spoiled? Oh shy. What's something you can't stand? Arrogance, laziness, selfishness, or dishonesty? Arrogance. Mm, I would say dishonesty. Oh. Okay. Mm. What's your favorite time of day? <laughs> <laughs> Dawn, morning, <laughs> dusk, or night? Gonna, Not lunch. I'm going to say dusk. And what do you typically do on a Saturday night? Dance with friends, read at home, sleep, spend time with my significant other. Uh, I mean, read at home. <laughs> Dylan's there, too. You got Joe Mark. Uh, 
What's you are dis- genuine, determined, and much more than what people think of you. You can be a bit reckless, but you always have your priorities straight. So, so who yeah. did who did you get, Mare? <laughs> I got Amy. Okay. I got this is Kate. I got Joe, and I was so excited. <laughs> Uh, this is Jane, and I got Joe. Okay. And I took nice. a few different, any quiz I could find, and they all said, I'll Joe. said Joe. Wait, wait, wait. Really? Jane, what did you expect you would get? Amy. Wait, what? But here's the thing. If I was being truthful, I would say I'm like a quarter each of the girls. Exactly. So you're mm. partially Slytherin, partially Hufflepuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, too, got Joe March. Hey! Wait, so Bunch of Joes. we got all Joes and all then Joes. an Amy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, if this quiz had had Lori as an option, I would have loved to be Lori. Yeah. Lori, oh, yeah. Lori. Lori is yeah, awesome. Lori does it all. Lori is a Joe and an Amy Lori, and a Meg and a Beth. Lori yeah. is the inciting incident. Without Lori, there is no book. Oh. Justice for Lori. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been an unconventional episode, but we shared some facts. We did a little quiz and we talked a lot about Little Women. So Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. Five stars. I'm definitely keeping it on my shelf because it's so beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Gorgeous. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email us at the to read list podcast at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend. Please rate us five stars on whatever podcatcher you use and subscribe. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Happy reading. Books, books, books. <laughs> we did it.